New, new, new black, new, new black Wall Street book club. Evan Jefferson, brother, much love. Educating, elevating, because in knowledge is the power and we'll never give it up. <laughs> Literature is for the masses. Where to put your money down the how to watch your assets. Yeah, uplifting others is a passion. My brother Evan, he will turn it into action. New Black Wall Street Book Club. You should come read with come us. Read with us. Yeah, we comprehend and discuss. Yeah. If we all just come together, there's no limit for there's us. No limit for us. <laughs> Here comes your host, New Black Wall Street. Evan, take it away. New Black Wall Street Book Club. Welcome to the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where black folk do read. If you put it in a book, we absolutely will find it. I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, CEO of ERGJ Enterprises, ERGJ Black Bazaar, and international best selling author of the book. The Black Billionaires Club. It's a study of black wealth. It's a study of the 12 richest black people in the world today and how they built their wealth. And I just believe that if you want to be wealthy, you should study wealthy people. We can find that book by going to the website www.theblackbillionairesclub.com www.theblackbillionairesclub.com You'll find that link in the description above or below. our daily motivation for African-American success. And our title for tonight is The Today Show. Our title for tonight is The Today Show. And our quarter tonight comes from uh, Brian Gumbel, uh, the morning news host who says this, you never know which key unlocks the safe. Everybody put it on so you never know. You never know which key unlocks the safe. You never know. And today's uh, passage of the day. Today's passage of the day. Let's read. Success can be achieved by only those, only by those willing to persevere beyond the point where the majority stop and turn back. Success can be achieved only by those willing to persevere beyond the point where the majority stop and turn back. Few of us realize how long it takes in the early days to succeed in an extraordinary way. There are difficult steps to be taken. A story is told of a scuba diver and fortune hunter who spent 14 years searching for a sunken Spanish galleon off the Florida Keys. Each day the crew kept looking for this elusive ship. Many wondered if they would ever find it or if the ship were, was even there. The captain of the expedition had a model that kept the crew inspired. Today's the day. Everybody put it on so today is the day. Today's the day. He had t-shirts and signs printed bearing that maximum. Then one day, today was the day. The crew found the sunken treasure, turning each crew member into a millionaire in the process. Anita Baker, the talented female vocalist, was turned down by numerous record companies and reduced to tears before she signed on with Electra Records. But today is her day. A film producer, Matty Rich, made more than 100 presentations to potential investors before he secured the funding to produce his first movie, Straight Out of Brooklyn. But today is his day. 
and dancer and choreographer Judith Jameson began her quest for the bright lights when she was six. Many days she danced on aching legs and bleeding feet, but today is her day. Today she is labeled America's premier dancer. Today is your day. Today is the day by, for you to take another step closer to your goal. Often it is just a single step that makes the difference. Often it is just a single step that makes a difference. Today is the day. And here is our affirmation today, people. Here's what you want to allow to take root into your heart, your subconscious. And then you grow and develop this thing by repeating it over and over and over again until it brings forth a harvest into your life. Repeat after me. Today and every day, I will continue to step toward my goal. Again, repeat after me. Today and every day, I will continue to step toward my goal. Let's do this again, people. It's time for the people in the back, man. We got to make sure that they know we serious about this thing. It's time to say it with, with some conviction. Repeat after me. Today and every day, I will continue to step toward my goal. Well, kings and queens, as you continue to step towards your goal, just know this. It is often just a single step that makes the difference. It is often just a single step that makes the difference. The Today Show. Daily Motivation for African-American Success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. Daily Motivation for African-American Success by Mr. Dennis P. Kimbrough. A quick word from our sponsor. Don't just buy black, decorate black. ERGJ Black Bazaar is the Afrocentric marketplace, and we specialize in urban home decor. Anything from shower sets to wall tapestries to duvet cover sets, you can decorate your entire home with original black art-inspired gifts. Check us out at www.ergjblackbazaar.com, www.ergjblackbazaar.com. ERGJ Black Bazaar, the Afrocentric marketplace. We make group economics easy. The New Black Wall Street Book Club presents Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans who escaped slavery and became millionaires by Shamari Wills. Let's read.
Well, my brothers and sisters, we're going to get right into the meat of our conversation here tonight. Here on the Black New Black Wall Street Book Club. That was our appetizer. Hopefully got you ready to rock and roll. Got you feeling pumped and, you know, believing in yourself. That it only takes, often it's only just a single step that makes a difference. And we're going to be continuing along in our journey into Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. And we are now into chapter five. Okay, chapter five. And this chapter's title is The Near Lynching, The Near Lynching of a Millionaire. The Near Lynching of a Millionaire. Now, I didn't check to see how long this is. Uh-oh. It's very short. Well, should we do two chapters? Let's see. Oh, let's do two chapters. Let's do two chapters tonight. Bring it in We're going to do two chapters, okay? Look like we're doing two chapters tonight. All right. So... Our first chapter, chapter five, the near lynching of a millionaire. Let's read. This is back in July of 1863. July of 1863. Let's get it. Late one hot evening in New York City, a lynch mob made up of white men and adolescent boys marched down East 29th Street in Manhattan toward the home of New York's richest black man, Jeremiah Hamilton. They wore dingy shirts with the sleeves rolled up in leather boots and carried revolvers, rifles, clubs, and sharpened sticks. And they marched down the gravel street toward the brownstone where Hamilton lived. They bellowed out his house number, 68, 68, 68, and waved their weapons above their heads. Hamilton and his wife, Eliza, heard the chants reverberating through the walls of their home. Hamilton was perhaps New York's most infamous African-American man. He was ruthless Wall Street broker, lived in a brownstone in an all-white section of the city and was married to a white woman 15 years his junior. His skin was the color of mahogany. He wore expensive gray and black suits and a wig of flowing black hair. He was referred to as the Prince of Darkness and Nigger Hamilton as the newspapers cataloged his financial and social dealings in New York. He could hear the boots of the men down on the street and their yelling and taunts as they drew closer to his house. Out of options, he bolted out the back door, jumped the back fence of his house and ran away down 28th Street. As the men drew closer, Eliza was left behind to face the mob alone. The streets had been, war, had been a war zone for two days ever since the federal government had begun draft lotteries for the Civil War. As the first names were drawn in New York, the city exploded in violence as working-class white men took to the streets. Enraged against the prospect of being forced to fight and end the enslavement of African Americans. In mobs of thousands, they overpowered the police, destroyed government buildings, lynched and crucified black citizens, and destroyed black churches and orphanages. High-profile African-Americans were hunted a prize, kills for lynch mobs. The day before they set upon Hamilton's home, riders had sacked and burned a pharmacy that belonged to James McCune Smith, America's first black medical doctor. When they arrived at Hamilton's house, the men began to scream, bring the nigger out. One of Hamilton's white neighbors came outside and told the mob he wasn't home. But the mob ignored his pleas to leave and continue shouting, nigger? and bring him out. One of the men told the neighbor, there's a nigger living in there with two white women 
and we're going to bring him out and hang him from the lamppost. The men climbed Hamilton's stoop and began slamming their shoulders into the front door. When it wouldn't give, one of the men ran around back of the house and ran in the basement door. He ran up the stairs into the parlor floor of the house, followed by a dozen other rioters. At the top of the stairs, they were met by Eliza Jane Hamilton. Eliza was tall with pale skin, a downturned mouth, and brown hair that she wore in a French braid. What do you want, she asked the men. Mr. Hamilton, one man grunted. We're going to kill him, another threatened. Why, Eliza demanded, trying to appear unafraid. Revenge, another, one, another man yelled. The men pushed past Eliza and spread out across the house to look for Hamilton. They scoured the house's five bedrooms, its long hallways, its closets, the basement, the dining room, and the parlor for the rich black man they had come to lynch. Along the way, they looted his home, stuffing items of value they found in the house into their shirts and pockets. Observing the commotion through their, through their blinds, his neighbors locked their doors and bolted their windows. Two neighbors came outside and stood on their stoops to see what was going on. There's trouble at the Hamiltons. As they purport that they were going to burn him out and hang him, the first neighbor said, Will you go down? The other neighbor asked. No. <laughs> you won't stand here and see a man murder without going to help him? The neighbor asked after a break in the conversation. The other neighbor didn't answer. Inside the house, a man with a revolver came downstairs and confronted Eliza. Give us all your liquor and cigars, he demanded. I have no liquor, she told him. I have cider. She went to fetch the cigars and cider. The looting men on the looting went on for half an hour, and it seemed as though the men had no intention of leaving. Some of the men sat down on Hamilton's parlor chairs, chases, and sofas, and put their feet up, smoking cigars and guzzling cider. Forty-five minutes later, the men became convinced that Hamilton wasn't there, and, and concluded they had stolen all they had that that there was to steal. One by one, they finally gave up and left. Hamilton. The richest black man in New York narrowly escaped death that day. However, it was the fleetness of his feet and not his wealth and talent that saved his life. Let's read that again. It was the fleetness of his feet, not his wealth and talent that saved his life. How many guys know that sometimes you just got to run? <laughs> sometimes you got to run, baby. <laughs> It ain't always that the money's going to save you. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes you just got to get the hell up on out of Dodge. There had been a time when he believed that his money would protect him from racism. His brush with death at the hands of the white mob was perhaps proof that African Americans, even if they had the opportunity and skill to amass a fortune, would still face threats to their lives and prosperity. Similar to the ones the masses of African Americans face perhaps greater because of their stature. Hamilton died in his 70s, a decade after the Civil War ended. At, that time of his death, uh, at the time of his death in 1875, he had a net worth of nearly a million dollars, making him at that time the richest black man in the United States. Mr. Jeremiah Hamilton, right? This brother, he was a Wall Street broker. His brother knew how to invest. He knew how to play the stock market. He was a broker. He made trades. I, I'd imagine I uh, made trades for other black people in their, in their stead or something like that. He was he was ruthless. They said ruthless in the stock market. This back in 1863. Now, 
now it seems that back, what is this, 150 years later, something like that, that uh, many of us uh, black folk, we seem to be scared of the stock market, not wanting to learn the stock market. But we have proof here from our history there was a brother who knew it, and he ended up and he ended up being the richest black man in the United States of his time. The same black man who ain't never who ain't never who ain't never showed up in Black History Month. Now they called him the Prince of Darkness. Matter of fact, uh, one of the books that we'll be covering in the New Black Wall Street Book Club will be the Prince of Darkness, which is the story of Jeremiah Hamilton. I don't know if we're gonna do that next. Y'all gotta help me decide. Uh, we're going to do Jeremiah Hamilton or we're going to read up on A.G. Gaston. One of the two, either Black Titan or the Prince of Darkness. We'll put that poll up for you guys to decide at some point in time. Somebody remind me, Miss Vivian, please remind me of that. But here's the deal. In America, listen, that you can get all the money you want. That's good. And now it can help you in certain situations, but it is not going to protect you at all times from racism. So don't be don't be naive to think that sometimes you ain't gonna have to run, okay? There's sometimes you just gonna have to get the hell up on out of dodge, uh, no matter how wealthy you are, because you know people get angry, okay? Sometimes you just have to run, and so um, I'm really you know I don't know if it's gonna be more about this. Actually, that's the end of this chapter, by the way, and I don't know whether it's gonna be more about uh, Mr. Hamilton. I mean, because that was very brief, <laughs> okay? Uh, hopefully, we get to learn more about his Wall Street broker days. Well, maybe we'll catch it in another book. Um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. You know, I know it was tough getting all this information. That's what I do know. I know it was tough for him to get all this information as much as he did. But at any rate, uh, that was Chapter 7. I mean, sorry, Chapter 5 of Black Fortunes, um, and which was the, the near lynching of a millionaire, Mr. Jeremiah Hamilton, the richest black man of his time a Wall Street broker who was married to a white woman. And uh, yeah, that was still going on back then too, you know. <laughs> you got rich, you got a white woman. I mean, that's still happening. <laughs> that ain't changed much, huh? Okay, anyway, uh, I'm gonna leave that by, I'm gonna, leave, uh, I'm gonna drop that right there. You guys can pick that up and you can take that wherever you're gonna take it. Um, But it is a little thing here from, I think this is, oh, this is for the next part. All right, so that was chapter five which is uh, the lynch, near lynching of a, of a, of a millionaire. A quick word from our sponsor. And now we're gonna move on to chapter six of Black Fortunes, which is 40, acres deferred 40 acres deferred now before we get there they have a little i think this is a quote about freedom and progress everybody put a council of freedom and progress it says if there are if there be any who are afraid of the rivalry of black man in office or in business i've only to advise them to try and beat their comp competitor that's from thaddeus stevens if there be any who are afraid of the rivalry of the black man in office or in business, I have only to advise them to try and beat their competitor. That is Stevens, 1867. That is Stevens, 
40 acres deferred. 40 acres deferred. Let's read. According to lore, on a hot day in June of 1865, at the end of the Civil War, a group of Union soldiers, soldiers on horseback rode into Oklahoma from Texas and convened groups of enslaved African Americans in clearings in the woods and on plantation fields. In the thick, dust-filled summer air, they told the gathering of African Americans that slavery was over. Oklahoma was vast, uh, full of... Y'all know what we're talking about, right? I'm sorry. Uh, June 1865... This is Juneteenth, right? This is why we have Juneteenth. Everybody putting comments on Juneteenth. So let's start back. Read, let's start back this chapter over. Let's read this again because we, we're talking about why we celebrate Juneteenth right now. Okay. Uh, so on a hot day in June, June 1865, at the end of the Civil War, a group of Union soldiers on horseback rode into Oklahoma from Texas and convened groups of enslaved African Americans in clearings, in the woods, and on plantation fields. In the thick, dust-filled summer air, they told the gathering of African Americans that slavery was over. Oklahoma was vast, full of frontier towns, farms, and Indian settlements. More than 5,000 African Americans lived in the territory in bondage. Despite what they may have been told, African Americans in Oklahoma would not be liberated until much later. They would not be liberated until much later. They had, been enslaved, they had been enslaved not by white men, but by the Indians of the Creek, Choctaw, Cherokee, Chickasaw, and Seminole tribes who lived, who ruled the region. So we had slaves, African Americans enslaved, but it wasn't by white men. How many guys knew that? Not by white men, but by Indians of the Creek, Choctaw, Cherokee, Chickasaw, and Seminole tribes ruled, who ruled the region. The people of the five major tribes of Oklahoma fought with the Confederacy during the war, and they were slow to surrender to the Union even after General Robert E. Lee and the rest of the Confederacy's soldiers laid down their weapons. Stan Hope Huate, a Cherokee Confederate Brigadier General and commander of the Confederate Indian Cavalry, was the last rebel commander to lay down arms on June 23rd of 1865. Even after that, the Indian rebels continued to fight for months. Braves raided Union camps in Oklahoma every few weeks, and Indian slaveholders defied federal law and continued to hold African Americans as slaves. Their resistance was born out of their attachment to the institution of slavery and their hatred of the United States government. Indians in the southern states began enslaving African Americans as early as the 18th century, after they were introduced to the practice by white settlers. For some Indians, such as the Creek and the Pawanee, Pawnee, holding slaves had been a part of their culture before their first contact with Europeans. For the majority, however, their entanglement with slavery began when they became the first victims of it. In the colonies of Georgia, Mississippi, Florida, and Alabama, Indians were held as slaves alongside African Americans. Later, as the practice of enslaving Indians declined in the early 1800s, members of the Creek, Choctaw, Cherokee, Seminole, and Chickasaw tribes began to show up at slave auctions to purchase trafficked African-Americans. As they shifted from pelt hunting to farming, as their main source of income, plantation slavery became normal in Indian communities. In the 1830s and 40s, Indians were displaced from the South by President Andrew Jackson's Indian removal policy. 
Federal troops removed tens of thousands of Cherokee, Creek, Seminole, Chickasaw, and Choctaw Indians, forcing them to relocate to Oklahoma. They traveled on foot in stagecoaches or on the backs of horses across the Mississippi, taking their slaves with them into the wilderness. At the end of the journey, they reached an undeveloped patch of land that the government called the Indian Territory. The Indians translated the name into Choctaw and called their new home Oklahoma, meaning land of the red people. The area was also home to thousands of African-Americans who made the journey as slaves to the new region. On the journey, migrants battled heat waves and hurricanes. They fought outbreaks of whooping cough, typhus, dysentery, and cholera, all the while being given inadequate rations of food and water by the federal, federal troops who chaperoned their removal from their homelands. The African-American slaves who had been the, who made the journey, sometimes in chains, were assigned the bulk of the manual labor and were often the last to receive a bite of food or a sip of water. As a result, they had the highest mortality rate during their already deadly trip. For the Indians and African-Americans who survived the march, it would come, be, come to be known among them as the Trail of Tears. Everybody put in console the Trail of Tears. Now, I'm going to tell you all straight up. I ain't know all this. <laughs> ain't nobody teach me this. I ain't getting to learn none of this stuff. I mean, I heard of the Trail of Tears. I think I heard the Trail of Tears from like some game or something like that. And I thought, I, I just thought it was Indians. I didn't know, I didn't know Indians. Uh, you know, I didn't know Indians were uh, slave owners of African-Americans. And, and, and why the hell are we not mad at the Indians? They had us slaves too. We ain't got no problem with them. We got a problem with white folks. Should we have a problem with all of them? I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. I'm just saying, I don't know that. Okay? <laughs> so, oh my goodness, the Trail of Tears is in Stone Mountain? Why the hell we keep going there to run up that damn mountain? They run up that mountain every Saturday. Like, let's go up Stone Mountain. Woohoo! Do they know the history of Stone Mountain? Oh my goodness. Matter of fact, they got some of the Georgia Sky Stones up there too, don't they? I'm telling you, man, we don't know history. I, I know this. Anybody else knew this other than Jennifer? I know this. I don't know this. I mean, I heard of it. I mean, but I did not know it. Okay, the Trail of Tears. Wow. So uh here when I guess when uh uh, when they were Indians were kicked out of the South and they had to go west, they went west with their slaves, African Americans, and and the, and the African Americans died the most because they didn't get no food or water until they got the crumbs. And whoo, Lord, that was a long trip. The Trail of Tears, the the Trail of Tears from I guess from the South to the West to Oklahoma for the Indians, for the Indians. Now, can anybody help me to understand why we don't have no problem with Indians? They they had us as slaves too. Of course, slavery is a is a is a is a it was a it was a thing back then. It was like the thing, right? For to, in order for you to, to have a, some type of developed society, I guess I don't know. You had to have labor, and you probably didn't have a whole bunch of money at that time. It was just you know you being on the land and you got a farm and it need to be done. So you get slaves, I guess, to make sure that the farming is done. I don't know. Hey, how the hell are they? I don't know. I don't know. Let's keep reading. Ooh, I'm a little baffled by this one. <laughs> that trail of tears, the trail of tears. We're going to learn today. We're going to learn today. That's what I'm talking about, man. Black, New Black Washington Book Club. We're going to learn some history today. <laughs> so three decades later, uh, when the Civil War began, the five tribes of Oklahoma pledged allegiance to the Confederacy. Look at that. They joined the rebels to defend their rights as slaveholders and exact revenge on the federal government. So 
You mean to tell me the Indians of the West, and I'm not sure if the Indians are all over the place, but the Indians of the West joined forces with the Confederate Army who were uh, fighting to make sure they could keep slaves, i.e. African-Americans, uh, doing free labor. And we don't have no problem with the Indians, but we got a problem with white folk. You see what happens when we don't learn his Now I'm not saying we have you should have a problem with either one of them. I'm just saying. We don't ever talk about Indians when we start talking about slavery. I mean, matter of fact, I mean, maybe that's on purpose. Maybe, 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 just maybe, the, re, the way it's set up, this whole societal institutional programming, the way they got it set up in it for, for us, to, for anybody to learn, for the most part, they go through the public school education system, is to learn, is to make sure that the white man is the enemy. I, that, that seems to be what's kind of prescribed. As you grow up, grow up all your life making the white man an enemy and fearing the white man. It's instilled fear. Just knowing that at some point in time, your brothers and sisters were in chains, we instilled fear through education. Uh-oh. I'm so, Let me say it better this way. We instill fear into the hearts of men and women, people, period. Either you're going to be, either you're going to be instilled the uh, fear, or you're going to be instilled privilege, right? And so, because the system, the, because the the organized education, it teaches everyone the same thing, depending on your color, because tip, pr predominantly, who goes to these schools are black people and white people. You don't see Indians in these schools, by the way. I, I don't see too many Indians in public school, right? So, by sending our children to school, we're basically saying, hey, we're going to allow the system. Uh, to instill fear into the black kids and we're going to allow the system to instill privilege into the white children. Uh-oh. You can just, you can figure this out just from interpreting history. Now, how in the world are the Indians left out? How's that? We gonna learn today. <laughs> As you said, that's part of the reason why Indians receive a monthly check because they aligned, they had an allegiance with the Confederacy. Woo! They played their part. Now, where was that? So they joined the rebels to defend their rights as slaveholders and exact revenge on the federal government during the Civil War. The Confederacy failed to send weapons or reinforcements to Oklahoma. Uh, as a result, the Indian rebels in Oklahoma were massacred uh, when they had to do battle with Union fighters. Nonetheless, at the war's end, they refused to surrender. Late in 1865, under threat of all-out war, the leaders of each tribe were, were summoned to Reconstruction conferences in Arkansas and Washington, D.C., to negotiate their terms of surrender. First, the government demanded that the surrendering tribes sign a new peace treaty with the United States government. Second, they were to emancipate their slaves and give them tribal rights. Last, they were to cede roughly a quarter of their land as reparations to the federal government for having joined the Confederacy. The government got reparations. <laughs> what the hell? Oh, the Lord. 
The terms of the surrender of the Indians in Oklahoma brought jubilation and hope to the African Americans who had been their slaves. Slowly, at the end of 1865, more than 5,000 enslaved African Americans in the territory were set free. This is why we celebrate Juneteenth. You understand? It's, it's important to understand like why some of these things even exist. Like we hear it, we throw it a dashiki. We Wakanda forever, but we don't even know what the hell it is. Why we even did it's just a party to many of us. This is why we celebrate Juneteenth. This is why they're pushing to make Juneteenth a national holiday, in case you didn't know. So slowly at the end of 1865, more than 5,000 enslaved African Americans in the territory were set free. Upon emancipation, they began to advocate that the confiscated Indian land be broken up into 40 or 160 acre parcels and given to them to start farms. Some even dreamed that the ceded Indian territory could be turned into an all black state. All over the country, emancipated African Americans and their allies the Union Army and the Radical Republicans in Congress advocated that African Americans be given 40 acres of land, perhaps with a mule and a plow. This is where you get to understand the 40 acres and a mule. Now, I don't know about you. I done heard the stuff and the sayings, but ain't nobody ever really went through and just explained to me all this stuff. I, I, you know, I don't even know where to find the story at. But this, is, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad we read this book, right? So this is where we come into forty acres and a mule. Now I believe that Spike Lee, I think the name of his uh of his production company was Forty Acres and a Mule, and, and I watched all the Spike Lee movies. But you know, while I would just wonder, Mr. Spike Lee, you know, no, no disrespect, Mr. Brother, Mr. Lee, well, why? Never a movie about why you named your company that, and maybe a movie about the Trail of Tears, and maybe a movie. Maybe I don't know. I guess we don't need another slave movie. But anyway, so this is the story. Really, we're just learning about Juneteenth. We're learning about Forty Acres and the Mule. We're learning about why we uh, some celebrated, or why it's even a thing, right? Uh, and uh, here's where the whole 48... I, now, see, I did not know that. I thought 40 Acres and the Mule, I thought it came from, like, you know, after the, I knew it was after the Civil War. I thought it was something that Lincoln did or something like that. I don't know. I don't know how they even... Now I know. But I didn't know before I know now. And I'm so glad I know now because we just choose to do what many people don't do. We choose to read. That's right. Here on the New Black Wall Street Book Club, Black folk do read. <laughs> All right, so we're learning about why Juneteenth. We're learning about the 40 acres of the mule thing that's going on. And I want to read this again. So again, Juneteenth is June of 1865. Okay? So what'd you say, Irvin? What's going on, Mr. Thomas? Irvin, he said something about Republicans. All right, is that so is that a thing? Okay. Uh, this is how I heard about it, Spike Lee. Okay. All right, cool. So I, I, I'm pretty sure he... I know Spike Lee probably know it. I'm just saying, I just, you know, maybe a movie or something would have been nice. I don't know. Maybe it was in the movies some kind of way. It was in what, Do Right Thing or something, some kind of way. I don't know. <laughs> School days, some kind of way. I don't know. All right. We do read, absolutely. All right. All right. Let me read this again. That's how we get it. So slowly at the end of 1865, more than 5,000 enslaved African-Americans in the territory were set free. That's Juneteenth. 
Upon emancipation, they began to advocate that the, the confiscated Indian land be broken up. So the government had taken the land and, and now there was a push from African-Americans and others uh, to say, hey, this land that y'all confiscated from Indians, give some of it to us. So it was broken up into 40 or 168 parcels and given to them to start farms. They already knew how to farm. Hey, we can make a contribution to society. We can, we can farm. We can grow some cotton if we need to, I guess. I don't know. So some even dreamed that the ceded Indian territory could be turned into an all-black state. All over the country, emancipated African-Americans and their allies, the Union Army and the radical Republicans in Congress. Okay, that's what you're talking about, the radical Republicans. Mr. Thomas, thanks so much, man. Hey, we just, hey, we all here to learn. I, I'm just, hey, I'm taking it in. All right, so Mr. Thomas says, just saying how Republicans back then had our back, but now it's Democrats who are looking for our votes. I had our back. I, yeah. Now, I don't know if Democrats really got our back now. I don't really know. I, it's, it sound, that sounds good to say. I know we predominantly vote Democrat, but I don't necessarily think that the Democrats got our back. I don't know about that. I don't know who the hell. I, I don't really care. right? Because who needs to have black folk back? Black folk. That's what I do know. That's what I can say. Regardless of your political party, if you if anybody going to have black folk back, it needs to be black folk. And we don't seem to get that just yet. Uh, so at any rate, so we're going to side with some political party. It is interesting, Mr. Thomas and anybody else. I find it interesting how uh, it was Republicans, as he said, that, that actually uh, pushed the agenda to uh, help us through this emancipation uh, you know, uh, period. Now, can anybody, does anybody know when did it switch? When did, when did, when did black folk like start hating Republicans and start loving uh, Democrats. Did the, did the Democrats have a big chicken party or something I need to know about? Uh, did they serve some sweet potato pie? I mean, what the hell happened to, for the switch uh, that we started hating Republicans and started loving Democrats? I don't know. Uh, that would be a great study. Who the hell knows that? When did that happen? When did that switch? When did that take place where we just started loving Republicans also? I mean, did they do a little dance? Did they show up at our party? Did they turn water into wine? What the hell happened? Anybody know? I'd like to know. <laughs> oh, Lord. Let's keep going. In Oklahoma, the realization of those hopes felt attainable. Now, African-Americans dreamed they could build a promised land on the old Indian lands, a place of their own where they could achieve economic independence as self-employed farmers. Now, this is getting good. I'm okay. In anticipation, hundreds of African-American families took up residence on the Indian lands, living in shanty towns made up of old slave quarters and canvas tents. Now, this makes sense. Why, uh, during this period, there was, a, there was an influx of movement uh, to Oklahoma for black folk. And this would make sense. The same reason why, eventually, we did build our own town, our own all-black state, which was Tulsa. That makes sense. That's why all the, a lot of black folk end up in Oklahoma. Okay, this is making sense. So there was a, uh, what is it called? A pilgrimage? There was a, whatever they call it. I don't know the word. Uh, there was an exodus, uh, you know, uh, from someplace for black folk into Oklahoma. This is back in 1865 after the emancipation, Juneteenth. Uh, and then we didn't get the damn 40 acres, but we did have a whole bunch of black folk there at the time. So it makes sense that we're going to start moving into the period of building Black Wall Street. Ah, 
I wonder how far the uh, Indian territories are in the Indian territories are from Tulsa. I guess they're in the same state, so they can't be too damn far, unless unless Oklahoma is that damn big. I don't know. So almost as soon as they began squatting on the ceded Indian land, bands of Choctaw and Chickasaw Indians were, with war paint smeared on their cheeks and carrying whips began riding into the encampments on random nights, raiding and pillaging homes. They looted and smashed and dragged black men out of their homes to publicly whip or lynch them. What? As women and children watched, what? Them Indians was there. <laughs> Is it? it, Was it Indians? Seriously? Indians were lynching us too? Oh my goodness, everybody was lynching black folk. Oh my goodness. Wait, read this again. Did I just read what I just thought I read? I think it just said that almost as soon as they began squatting on the ceded Indian land, bands of Choctaw and Chickasaw, Indians with war paint smeared on their cheeks and carrying whips, began riding into the cabins on random nights, raiding and pillaging homes. They looted and smashed and dragged black men out of their homes to publicly whip and lynch them as women and children watched. Despite those intimidations, the dreamers in Oklahoma remained, hoping that any day the government would give them the right to petition to petition to be given the land. In 1866, after the Indian tribes of Oklahoma finalized their surrender with a transfer of more than 5 million acres in the center of the Indian Territory to the federal government, African Americans began to petition the Bureau of Land Management for parcels of land. Under the Homestead Act passed by Abraham Lincoln in 1862, Americans could petition the government for an allotment of publicly held land. Soon after the first inquiries were received, the Bureau of Land Management rejected them, announcing that the lands had already been earmarked as a resettled territory for a new group of Indians who were being removed from the Midwest on the second Trail of Tears. Defeated, some African-Americans stayed and fought to be accepted as tribesmen by the Indians who had once held them as slaves. Others left Oklahoma altogether to find their way elsewhere in the emancipated world. There will be no 40 acres for them. There will be no promised land. Not yet. Chapter six. <laughs> Chapter six, man. Every time say, have you heard about the five dollar Indian? That about the five dollar Indian when he when did that come about? I don't I haven't heard. I don't know, man. I, I'm learning today. I know money. I don't know history. I'm trying to learn about history so I can learn no more about money. Okay. Uh the party switched. Well, we in 18, we in 1860-something now. All right, here we go. Terry Gray. I knew somebody was coming up. Here we go. Terry Gray. The switch began after the New Deal. Democrats really can be can really be really can be consolidating their issues with the rise of the Kennedys and anti and anti Jim Crow uh, movement. After the Voting Rights Act of 1968, Nixon was elected in 1972. He was confirmed racist. Who he was a confirmed racist who began his attacks on the black community using J. Edgar Hoover and declaring the war on drugs, which was actually a war on black people. Black people and Democrats are still fighting the Nixon movement which is now transferred to Trump. Okay, we're gonna learn today, people. Mark, I said the original was the original was a Democratic Republican party founded by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. All right, so it was a double party? Oh, it was this party versus what? Like Libertarian or something? I don't know, man. Who the Lord, did I see? I be telling people, man, we just get somebody, really get a political person. 
like that really know this stuff and really come up and start teaching people, man, they make a whole bunch of money. Just, just literally just teaching this history about this is this is this and this and this and this. I am, but you know, but nobody be listening to me. Why be giving all these giving all these suggestions, man? You can just do that and you can make some money because hey, let's not let's not kid ourselves, people. Uh, money teaching money and teaching politics is a big game. You, we learn that we learn money and politics. Oh, game over, right? But first, it's gonna start with us what learning history about money and politics in this particular society or any society that you live in. We learn that. We learn the history of politics, which you know, I guess they try to do in civil rights, but they don't talk about the history of black folk in politics. They just talk about the history of politics. They ain't going to talk about this stuff. And then you learn about the history of money. Man, you was a powerful Negro. <laughs> you're an educate, and you're an educate, you're an educated Negro at that point. Man, now you really, you really dangerous. You become a dangerous Negro. <laughs> Woo, that's chapter six, man. Uh, Black Fortunes. Again, here on the New Black Wall Street Book Club, as we're going through the book Black Fortunes, the story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. The story of the first six African-Americans to escape slavery and become millionaires. And we have, uh, in previous episodes, we talked about Mary Ellen Pleasant. We are talking about Robert Reed Church. Uh, we just talked a little bit about uh, Jeremiah Hamilton, who was the first who was the richest black man in the United States in his time. I guess that was 1865-ish. And now we uh, just got through reading about uh, the transition or the transport or the movement uh, of, of blacks into uh, the West area, Oklahoma, and which now which, with the emancipation taking place in 1865, brings us to why we celebrate this thing called Juneteenth. And we also learned, I learned, I don't know about y'all, but I learned, right? And we were slaves to Indians too. They were lynching us too. <laughs> Black folk couldn't get no help. We were we've been by ourselves for a long time. That's why I, all, I keep saying we all we got. We it been that way. We've been all we got. This is the New Black Wall Street Book Club, where Black folk do read. If you put in a book, we absolutely will find it. Now, I'm your host, ERGJ, your certified financial educator, and we invite you to join the Black Billionaires Club. Get connected with brothers and sisters who are serious about winning with money, serious about success, and super serious about helping you to accomplish your goals and to build your dreams. Check out the website at www.theblackbillionairesclub.com, www.theblackbillionairesclub.com. You can find that link in the description above or below. Make a decision to change the rest of your life. We'd ask that you would subscribe and support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes to improve financial literacy within our community and ultimately to help us to build the School of Wealth, to build an institution that will teach the next generation about money. And your small monthly contribution can make all the difference. Well, well, we want to say thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the New Black Wall Street Book Club. We want you to remember this, that it takes a village and it starts with us. Let's build as we climb together. We all we got, people. And thank God that that's more than enough. Until next episode, you know what time it is. Mr. DJ, hit the music.
New, new, new black, new. It's the new black Wall Street book club. With your host, Evan Jefferson. It's time for us to go. Now you ain't gotta leave the computer. But we encourage you to get out there and learn and apply all the things you learn at the new black Wall Street. Book club, book club. Yeah.